This week, um, we are in the last uh, last uh, sermon in our series, in Abide. You know, when I was a child, I had two favorite television shows uh, that I watched every day. I would, I would run home from school to watch these two shows. They were He-Man and Thundercats. <laughs> they were my favorite shows. You know, uh, and both of these shows were about men who were normal, maybe even weak, who gathered extraordinary power through the use of their soul. I always wanted to be those individuals. I wanted to be one of those who, who could do those things. I had He-Man's sword. I had Lino's sword. I was, I was it. I wanted that. I watched that adventure. I wanted that adventure, that change that came with the power that they received. And this week, as we begin our final week in our series Abide, Living a Life Rooted in Jesus, I want to end with that aspect that so many of us seem to want, yet few of us seem to truly understand. This week, I wanted to look and take a few moments to look at what it looks like to abide in the power of Jesus. Now, a warning, this is not my typical sermon. Usually I try to be at least semi-exegetical and I find a place and I park there, but I'm not staying in one Texas today because so many sermons I find, um, so many concepts in the Bible don't lend themselves to one passage of the Scripture. The Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible. But when you read through Scripture in different parts, it's clearly revealed. The omni-aspects of God, you know, He's omnipotent, He's, he's all of these things, all-powerful, all-knowing. They're not said in one spot, but if you go and look through Scripture, you see that picture painted. And to me, it's the same with abiding in the power of Christ. When you think of Jesus' power, what do you think of? Maybe creation. You know, He was there as the Father said, let there be light. The Bible tells us through Jesus these things were created. You know, you see this, maybe that's your thought of Jesus' power. Maybe it's the healing, you know, that he would walk along and say, pick up your mat and go home. Maybe it's all the other miracles. Most of us tend to see Jesus and his power in terms similar to my favorite TV shows, right? That he's the hero, the God-man who can call on power when needed and can never be destroyed. Jesus in the book of John kind of sounds like that at times. He's like super Jesus in the book of John. You read John... And it's like, you know, you can almost see him pulling his robe off. Because he says things like, no one takes my life. I give it and I'll pick it back up again. That's the man's Jesus there, right? We read Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And sometimes if you're a man in this world, you're kind of going, that's kind of sissy, right? He's just, he's a, he doesn't do anything. But in John, woo, he, I, I pick my, but nobody does this. This is me. It's all me. So we see Jesus doing all these great things and promising that we can do greater. And we're like, yeah, bring it on. I can abide in that. But when I think of Jesus' power, I think differently. I see something else completely as I read Scripture. And I believe if we're truly to abide in the power of Jesus, we have to understand the power of Jesus. And with that in mind, turn with me to our first text. It's easy to find. It's the last book of the Bible. A scene unfolded in heaven. It's in Revelation chapter 5. And there is a scroll. The Father, the one seated on the throne, has brought this to get given this scroll 
And no one was able to open it. No one's able to do anything. And, and, and there's, there's nothing there. And John says, he, he begins to, to cry. He's upset. He begins to say, oh no, what are we going to do? This revelation is supposed to unfold. It's going to stop right here. We're five chapters in. What, what are we going to do? No one can open it. He begins to cry and the elders say, stop, look. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes which were the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. The first thing we see about Jesus' power in the scripture this morning is that Jesus' power does not look like the world's power. It looks completely different. The problem we have tapping into that power is that it resides in a relationship with Jesus so we get confused with worldly power and godly power. Think about this scene. John walked with Jesus. John knew Jesus. John saw water turned into wine. He saw the raising of Lazarus. He saw all of these things that happened. And he even, see, he even saw the risen Savior. And here he is in heaven. And there's a scroll. And nobody can open. Have you ever had something given to you that you just didn't know how to work? You couldn't get it open? You ever got a package in the mail that had that shrink wrapping on it? That's impossible to get it out of? You know, John's sitting here looking and he's going, there's no one worthy. There, there's, there's no one. We're, we're never going to know this revelation. We're never going to know what this is because there's no one to do this. And then an elder says, stop crying, dude. Look, the Lion of Judah has become victorious and he is worthy. Woo, the king of the jungle, the strongest of the animals, that, that, that symbol of power and might, the, the king, the regal symbols, this was just his title. And John had to be excited because, man, this was going to be powerful. And then he turns around and it's a lamb that is dying. It wasn't a lion. It wasn't a ferocious beast. He didn't look like a conquering warrior. He looked like a lamb that had been slain. That's the powerful. That's the image of power here in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. Does that look like what the world would call power? The one who died? The lamb of the slaughter? Paul talked about it over in the book of Corinthians. He said this is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make any sense. That's not power. 
power. But that's the image of power in this final book of the Bible. If we're going to abide in the power of Jesus, we have to understand this point. If we are seeking the world to recognize our power, we're not seeking Jesus. Because the world's not going to recognize our power. The world's not going to recognize that. The power of Jesus isn't about bullying. It's not about being hard-handed. It, it doesn't even look like it's in control. It didn't look like it was in control on the cross. Do you remember the morning of the resurrection? I know you weren't actually there. Do you remember the story of the morning of the resurrection? And Mary goes to the tomb. And she's like, man, they've moved him. And she's so upset. And she goes to, to Peter and John, and they're just kind of going, oh, stupid woman. There's, there's just no, he's dead. We saw it. They had lost hope. The man dying on the cross did not look like it was in control. In fact, if, if we're abiding in the power of Jesus, those outside the will of God may look like we're losing. It looked like to everybody that day that Jesus was losing. Right? Because he died. Abiding and moving in the power of Jesus will not look like the world's view of power. It's not going to be the, the, the larger-than-life personality who can, who can make you feel like he'll do anything. That's out there. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't tell us that, that we need to go and, and take up arms and do these things for God because it says in our weakness, he is strong. Jesus' power doesn't look like the world's, but in Acts chapter 1, he did promise power. He promises power in Acts chapter 1. So we're going to look at it here. Acts chapter 1. <coughs> there in the very first chapter of all the things that happened after the resurrection. The Acts of the Apostles. All the things that were going to go on in the early Christian world. Jesus is still here. Jesus is talking to his, his disciples and he's talked to them. He said, hey, come up on the mountain with me. And he says to them in Acts 1.8, he's talking to them about what's going on. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, Jesus' power is about function rather than ability. He gave his power and gives his power for a reason. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm going to give you power to be powerful. I mean, if you catch what he says here, he's this, he says, it's like a contract with fine print, right? I'm going to send you power. So, so, the word here is so. So you can be my witnesses. I'm giving you power so you can be my witnesses. Now, there's a lot of misguided preaching about the power of Jesus. About what it means to be an overcomer in Christ. These, these preachers will tell you that the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit means that you will only have blessing poured out upon your life. If you'll just receive the Spirit, if you'll just let the Spirit come into your life, you'll have blessing upon blessing and nothing will ever be bad again. 
Tell that to people who are without water this morning. Who didn't have power this week. They'll say that it's up for you to name it and claim it. If you'll just name it and claim it, it's yours. I was in school one day. Had our pain. I was sitting in the class. And uh, I'd gotten busy that week. It's Carrie's fault. I was dating this little girl. And so it was hard dating a freshman as a senior. Because, you know, she had 8 o'clock classes. And she had 10 o'clock curfew. So I had to get up at like 5 in the morning to get ready to go eat breakfast with her in the cafeteria. I don't like cafeteria food. <laughs> and then I'd have to go sit around in, in, in my Bible building for two hours before my first class ever started. And then I would have class and all those things that happened. And, but I was just tired. And I spent too much time with this little girl. And I got to class one morning and we had an exam. And I said, oh, I'm going to fail this exam. If you don't know anything about Bradford, there's a, there's a church in town that is very much a health and wealth gospel kind of church. And a lot of them started going to it. And one of the girls who went to that church looked at me and she said, just name it, brother. You're going to pass and you'll get it. And I was like, I did just name it. I, did, I didn't study. I'm not going to pass this test. I don't think God's going to give me supernatural ability because I didn't use the tools he gave me. That's cheating. She looked at me and I was like, well, I can't say I'm going to have a Mercedes and there's going to be Mercedes out there in the parking lot for me. That doesn't work that way. That's not how, how his power works. He's not like shimmer and shine. Okay, All you little girl parents and grandparents know shimmer and shine, right? It's not like shimmer and shine. You know, you don't, you don't get those three wishes. It's just... These people will tell you that Jesus gives us authority over everything in the world, and that's not exactly true. Jesus has all authority. That doesn't mean we just get what we want. The power Jesus promised us is tied to function rather than ability. It's tied to the fact that we have the power to be witnesses. That power may not work if we aren't using it according to his function. Now, have you ever tried to vacuum your carpet with a lawnmower? <laughs> Especially if it's baggy, because it'll pick up all that dirt in your carpet, too. How about brushing your teeth with a chainsaw? Those things have power, you know. I'll say out, I'm sorry. But that power is worthless if it's not being used for its function. Right? It's worthless. You can actually do more damage than good if you're using that power in that manner. We are called to be witnesses. And he gives us power for that reason, to be witnesses. If we're going to abide in Jesus' power, we're going to be witnesses. We're going to use the power he gave us for the function that he intended. Power that gives us courage, boldness, and the drive to reach others for Jesus. We're given power to be witnesses, not to be gods. Hmm. There are too many people out there who want to use Jesus' power and look like a God because I can just name it and claim it. I can just do this. I had a pastor one time. He and I got a little crossways. I was 
I was a young whippersnapper, but I knew it all. And uh, he uh, he claimed to have a, a divine gift for healing cancer. You know what he died of? Cancer. We have to be careful when we use God's power in a way that's not His function. We can't just do things because we want to do things. That's not what God's power means. It's not how we're supposed to do this. We're given that power to have courage, to have boldness. We're not called to lord over others. We're not called to say, look, I'm a believer, so I got this power. We're called to be witnesses to the saving power of Jesus. And sometimes that manifests itself like abilities like we find in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, Paul, Peter, and John are, have been uh, already griped that a little bit about talking about Jesus and preaching on Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 1, we start, it says, Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. And Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, Look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood, and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple complex. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Jesus' power is outward-focused. One of the biggest problems... With health and wealth gospel is, it's about what I can get. What I can get. I try, I try really hard not to do televangelist impersonations. Um, but you know, for your $20 donation, for your $20 seed of faith, God will bless it a hundredfold, and I'll send you this prayer rack. For your gift of $30, we will send you this Bible study. That's not a gift. I just bought a Bible study. But it's all about me. What, what can I get? I can get healthy. I can get rich. I can get blessed. I can get things. It's about recognition to what is given to me. It's about how I feel in worship. Boy, worship for me has to feel a certain way or it's not worship. I've had that argument with people. It doesn't feel this way, it's not really worship. It has to move me. Oh, goodness. My thoughts run wild sometimes. Oh. I was going to say, I'll say it anyway. I was going to say, take a laxative. I want it to move me. You're looking for the wrong thing in worship if you feel like you have to be led somewhere. 
Worship is what you get out of what you bring. When you bring it, when you come expecting something, that's my favorite verse in this entire, in this entire passage right here. Because it says in verse 5, so he turned to them expecting to get something from them. He turned expecting to get something. If we come to church on Sunday not expecting to get something, we're not going to get anything. If I come to look for the reasons why I can tear the service down, I'm not going to get anything. That's, that's just the truth. So often we, we walk around and we go, oh, we could have done that better. We could have done this better. It doesn't do us any good to go back and do that. I hate listening to myself preach. I do. If I know it's not me, I like it sometimes. If I like hear Carrie listen to it or something, I'll go, oh, that was pretty good. It was you. Oh, it was? I, I don't go back and listen to myself. I listen to myself long enough to put the video together to put on the website, and that's it. And even then, I'm fast-forwarding to the points where I know that the slides need to go, and then I'm done. Because if I spend too much time critiquing where I was at, I begin to let myself be what drives what needs to happen rather than God. If, if we're coming here not expecting things, not doing things, then we're not going to get anything. You know, that, that kind of power that we're looking for there, the promises, the new car, the complete and total healing, the riches, the promotion, every blessing imaginable because of Jesus' power, but that's not what happens in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John know Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and Peter preached the greatest sermon the world has ever known. Period. Done. And then they're walking along. And we read this story in Acts 3, not because I want to dig real deeply, but we'll say that for another sermon. What I want us to see here is that the power of Jesus is just outward focused. They didn't do anything for them. They did it for, as a witness to the gospel. Because they didn't say, they could have said, get up and walk. Get up and walk. And never say anything else. But what did they say? I don't have silver and I don't have gold. But what I have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus the Nazarene, get up and walk. Woo! What did he have? He had the name of Jesus. That's all he had. He didn't have any coins rattling in his pocket. He didn't have any special skills. His, his hands didn't have special power in them. He had the name of Jesus. And that's what he could give. And it was the name of Jesus that brought this miracle about. And it's just one example. The New Testament, especially in Acts, is littered with stories of Christians using the power of Christ in this way. And they have one thing in common. They're outward focused. They're outward focused. It's going to someone else with nothing in return. Peter could have said, well, buddy, what do you got in your, in your coffer there? For your gift of ten denarii in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. He didn't say that. They didn't ask for anything. It wasn't for them. It was for somebody else. Never do you see anybody in the New Testament using the power of Jesus for themselves. The one person who tried wasn't given the gift. The magician who followed after him and said, oh man, 
Can you give me that spirit so that I can do this? Because he wanted the prophet. And they, they said, nope. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. They're always healing someone else. They're always raising someone else from the dead. They're always doing something that blesses someone else. The outward focus of the power of Jesus goes along with its root and its function over its ability. Yes, the power of Jesus sometimes manifests itself in ability. Not ability to get you things. Not ability to help yourself. Not ability to get your way. The ability is always outward focused. It's always for the building up of the church. It's always for the sake and help of someone else. If we're abiding in the power of Jesus, we'll be seeking to demonstrate that power for the sake of someone else. For someone else. So, we come now to what's probably the hardest part of this morning's sermon. The true form of Jesus' power. Yes, the New Testament shows great miracles happening through His power. But it shows something else even more. The power to, to overcome. Philippians 3, Paul's talking here about what it means to know Christ. And he says in chapter 7, and in verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. Jesus' power is more about what you can endure than what you can do. Ouch. We don't like to hear that. That's not popular. I say it all the time. If we put a marquee out front, with the real theme, the real call of Jesus, people wouldn't come. Because His call is come and die. First Baptist Church, come and die. That, that's not popular. People don't want to follow that. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to go through that. But the greatest point of Jesus' power in our lives isn't what we can do. It's not our abilities. It's our endurance. That we can overcome regardless of the outcome. For Paul... It was the loss of everything he knew. He lost everything. Some theologians will tell you that because he was a Pharisee, he was probably married. And she left him. Because he came to know Jesus. He lost everything. He lost his friendships. He lost family. He lost everything. He was beaten. He was stoned and left for dead. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was shipwrecked. And then in the end, he was beheaded. Still, one chapter later, he says, I can do all things through him for strengthens. He's on his way to be beheaded. He's on his way to prison. He knows that when he stands before Caesar, he's going to be a witness. But it's probably not going to end with it. Because how do you how do you convince someone who thinks they're a God to bow down to God? That's what Paul had in front of me. He said that I'm going to do it because I have the power from Jesus to be a witness. 
The power of Jesus isn't about miracles. It's not about gifts. It's not about blessings. It's not about reputation. The power of Jesus is about the ability to overcome in the hardest of circumstances. It's about the ability to be content no matter what is going on around you. It's, it's about the truth found over in James where he says, Consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you go through trials. What? Nobody wants to be joyful about trials. Are you kidding me? That's what he says, though. Be, be joyful because there's a point. Because it gets you where God wants you to be. It gets you down that road. Jesus' power allows us to endure whatever the world throws at us and still come out with joy on top of the situation. Why? Because he had the power to be obedient even to the point of death on a cross. It's why the power of Jesus doesn't look at the world's power. It's why it's outward focused and about function rather than about ability. It's why, it's why it's about what it allows us to endure because he endured our punishment for us. To abide in the power of Jesus is to live with the desire to be his witness no matter the cost. Knowing his power will allow you to endure whatever the world throws your way. Maybe this morning. You have been feeling defeated. This was a good week to feel defeated, right? I'm, you know. So many times things don't go right and it's so easy to go, why me? Carrie hit that point this week at one point. Um, I can't even remember what it was, but she had misunderstood something I said. And she, she had thought that we, I forgot what it was, but it was either water or firewood or something. And she had thought, I said we were going to get it the next day. And it was firewood, that's right. <laughs> I was waiting for people to show up with wood. And I made a comment about how somebody was going to, to, to be here to bring some, you know, and she somehow thought that I said they weren't going to get there the next day, and I had just thrown our like, last two logs on the fire. And I walk up to her, and I'm like, why are you crying? I was so lost. And she just, she just knew we were going to freeze to death and die that night because our firewood was gone. And I was like, where did you get that? And she said, well, you just said, I just said somebody's bringing some wood. Oh, that's, that's not what I thought you said. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's easy to get yourself overwhelmed. It's easy to feel defeated. It's easy to look at situations and think things are hopeless. It's so easy to do in this world because this world wants you to feel hopeless. The devil wants you to feel hopeless. He wants you to feel like it's, it's never going to be warm again. Well, you know, that's, that's what all of you thought this week, right? <laughs> Matt, was, Matt kept texting me going, is this normal? Do we live in Texas? I mean, what is going on? I mean, I'm like, it, it, it is what it is. You know, it's easy. It's easy 
to let the world begin to get under your skin and begin to, to drill in the back of your head and tell you that things aren't good and things are always going to be bad and it's not getting any better. But that's not what the Bible tells us. That's not what Jesus tells us. And I'll follow the word of Jesus over the word of the world any day. Maybe this week you've been struggling with this idea of power. I think it's kind of ironic that I was preaching on power this week when we didn't have any this week. So, you know, I mean, God has a sense of humor, let me tell you. It was also ironic that I received the notification that my electric bill had been paid on the day I had no electricity. But, you know, that's the way that works too. God works in, in crazy ways. You know, power with God doesn't require lines. It doesn't require generators. It doesn't require power plants. It just requires faith and relationship with Jesus. Maybe this week you have been struggling with that view of the world. It's time to let it go. It's time to say, I serve a God who is greater than this world. <laughs> Maybe this morning you've been struggling with something else. So much stuff has been coming at us at such a rapid pace in the past few months that it's hard to keep up sometimes. Kind of feel like you're drowning sometimes, right? Because right when one thing finishes, something else happens. It's like debt, right? Right when you pay off that bill, there's another bill. That's just the way it happens. Maybe you just want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church of membership. Maybe this morning. never known the power of Jesus. Maybe you've never had that relationship. You could, you could sit in church your entire life and never really know Jesus. I could sit in my garage all day long and it never makes me a car. It's just the truth. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, don't let one more day go by. Make today be the day. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Would you pray for Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessing.